Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 89th episode of The Atlas Society Asks. My name is Jennifer Anju Grossman. My friends call me JAG. I'm the CEO of The Atlas Society. We are the leading nonprofit introducing the ideas of Ayn Rand to young people in fun, creative ways like our animated videos and graphic novels. Today, we are joined by Amjad Massad. Um, before I even get into introducing Amjad, I wanna remind all of you that are watching us on Zoom, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, wherever you are, we wanna hear from you. So use the comment section and shoot us some questions. Uh, our guest today, Amjad Massad, landed in America about a decade ago with uh, nothing but credit card debt and with hard work and risk-taking and ambition, he became one of uh, the country's youngest and most successful tech entrepreneurs. After working at engineering roles at Facebook and Yahoo, uh, then helping launch Code Academy, um, he, in uh, 2016, he founded Replit, an online coding environment designed to make coding more fun, approachable, and social, kind of like what we try to do here at the Atlas Society. Uh, while he's widely respected in Silicon Valley and the tech community, he broke into the national consciousness uh, last month when he authored a thread on Twitter uh, on 10 things I love about this country, uh, which got picked up in various outlets and including uh, a beautiful op-ed by Peggy Meenan. We'll put those links in the comment uh, section. Amjad, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's, it's my pleasure. Uh, beautiful introduction. I appreciate it. So uh, first, I was interested to learn that you were born in and grew up in Jordan, but you can correct me because I know your family moved around a little bit. Um, I actually spent some time there uh, doing research for my Harvard thesis on the Hashemite dynasty. So would love to hear a bit about your backstory before coming to the United States. Yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, yes, my, my parents, I come from, I guess, multiple generation of immigrants. My father is a Palestinian Palestinian immigrant, first to Syria. My father was born in Syria and then moved to Amman when Amman was kind of just uh, just uh, you know, becoming becoming like a major city in the region. And my mom's family are Algerian and they kind of fled the um, Algerian-French war, went to Syria and then from Syria again to Amman. My dad and my mom met, met in Amman and uh, my brothers and I were born and raised in Amman, Jordan. Um, and uh, my father is an, is an engineer. My, my, my mom is sort of a more of a kind of a liberal arts type. Um, I think she studied uh, psychology. She was, um, she always kind of made us read poems and, uh, and, and draw and do art. And my father always pushed us to do kind of math and, and physics and we had we had sort of little means and um, but but uh, my parents always uh, you know they had this value of, um, you know they always valued education and they uh, they spend they went into debt to to give us a great education 
Um, and uh, my father was working in, in government um, in Jordan. He, um, he started in, um, in the uh, Amman, uh, in, in the city of Amman as an engineer, as a civil engineer. And um, he found it hard at first because it's hard as a Palestinian to, to kind of really make it in government in Jordan. But uh, it was beautiful watching him uh, kind of fight and, 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 and try to do the best for the country and um, and kind of as an immigrant, really adopt uh, a new a new country and try to contribute the most. And kind of I I carry that with me today as as I as I do the same thing in the United States. But um, my father got us a computer when we were uh, very young. Again, sort of uh, went into into debt for that. It was way above his means, but he just saw something in computers. That was 1993, and we were the first in our neighborhood, even in our like if of anyone I know that we had a computer. And I remember just one of my earliest memory memories was just standing behind my father's shoulder as he was learning how to use the computer. He was using DOS, he was entering the commands. And like, I remember what's, what was going through my head was that, wow, this is a machine that can talk to you uh, and that you can like have a almost conversation with. And um, I, I just sort of like started making mental notes of like what the, what my father and his friends were doing on the computer. And then, then when they would leave, you know, I'd wake up at night, get up from bed, go to the computer and then mess around with it and start typing commands. And eventually I got caught, but they were, my father was so impressed with my abilities with the, with the computer that came sort of naturally to me. And they just like, let me mess with it. Um, and um, I learned a, a bit of programming. One of the interesting thing about, about computers in the nineties and eighties was, and before that was that you had to learn some programming in order to use computers. Unlike today where sort of, um, you know, Silicon Valley does the programming for you. And, um, and, uh, and like everyone is a consumer of computers um, as opposed to, to being able to manipulate the software and the data yourself. And, Maybe we'll get back to that once I talk about my journey uh, in, in, in business and entrepreneurship. Um, I started my first software business when I was 15 years old. I sold software to uh, internet cafes in, in Jordan, which was becoming a big trend. I, sort, I sold like management software and I had contracts to fix their computers. Um, it I was on call the whole time and I kind of invested in a pager so that they can reach me. There were no cellular phones at the time in Jordan. And, um, and so I would run away from class in order to go fix my software, which often broke. I made a lot of money as a kid. When McDonald's first came to Jordan, I took my entire class to eat at McDonald's. And I was just like bawling for a 15 years old uh, kid. And yeah. And, and that's why, that's how I caught the entrepreneurship bug. It just felt like software and computers were this like thing that could give you superpowers. Um, and was really inspired by that. Um, I went throughout college. I, I worked in it. Uh, I sort of stopped doing software for a while. Um, you know, I had this theory that maybe uh, AI will be able to automate software that theory turned out to be kind of dumb because AI is the software is the last thing that AI will, will automate um, before everything else is automated. So I went back to software and I had this vision in my head that software was sort of like the highest leverage thing 
since the dawn of humanity. Um, and like, you can sort of just think of things. It's kind of, you can, you can think of things and with little resources, turn it into reality, turn it into something that affects people's lives. And so I made it my life's mission to, um, to make software creation more accessible. Uh, and I wrote, um, I wrote, uh, you know, I wrote a sort of a breakthrough piece of software that we open sourced to make um, programming more accessible in a web browser. Traditionally, you'd have to download a lot of software in order to start programming. And so I try to do to software what Google Docs did to Microsoft Word. You know, just put it online, make it collaborative, make it easy, make it easy to share. It was a lot harder than just prose because you're dealing with code. But um, that got me uh, that got me a lot of press and kind of fame in the United States. Um, people were talking about our technology and, and using it and uh, talking about it in conferences. So I got a job offer from Code Academy as the founding engineer, sure. and uh, they got me an an O one visa uh, to go to the United States. I mean, the story behind the credit card debt was that. I saved up a lot of money in order to go to the United States to buy the tickets and go there and get situated. In the airport, they um, they looked at my visa. They saw the O-1 visa. They did not know what an O-1 visa is. They never seen it before from a Jordanian, uh, an alien of extraordinary ability. That's what it's called. And they made me buy a ticket back. And I was, they basically took all my cash from me and I had to put some on my credit card. So by the time I uh, landed in America, I really had uh, very little money. I kind of struggled with that a little bit. Um, and, um, but like the, the startup uh, started taking off and, and, um, and um, you know, eventually um, I, I left that company. Today, Code Academy kind of powers, uh, you know, tens of millions of people uh, learning how to code. They just had a, big exit. They were acquired for half a billion dollars. And, um, and after that, I went to work for Facebook a little bit before in 2016, kind of starting my own business, which is Replit. So when you came to the United States, had you, had you been here before? Uh, was it kind of a culture shock at all? Because you're, you have zero uh, accent. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, uh, the accent, uh, is is something I actually worked on. I I wanted to fit in. I didn't want to. Th- there's nothing wrong with an accent, obviously, but um, yeah, I I just uh I just wanted to fit in. I wanted to be an American. Um, and um, you know, a- as you know, uh, you know, us Jordanians, we're um, we're fascinated by American culture. When we were growing up, we listened to rap music. We dressed like Americans, we ate McDonald's and we, um, and just, we, we grew up with American culture. And so in a lot of ways, it wasn't a culture shock. Um, and, um, and, uh, uh, maybe California was, was a, because I landed in New York, maybe California is, was a little bit more of a culture shock because the culture here is pretty, pretty different. Um, and uh, and uh, like California, uh, like New Yorkers are a lot more confrontational and like um, and, and more similar to, to Arabs, I guess. But uh, but in California, there's this 
niceness and sometimes fake niceness that's hard to <laughs> that's hard to really um, parse. So that was that was a bit hard, but but other than that, I was pretty well acclimated. So tell us about Replit. How is it different than Toad Academy? You know, this is a philosophy audience. Um, hopefully, we have some of your fans who are watching as well. But for our core base, uh, who are relatively tech non savvy, what's yeah. your product and uh, who are your customers or consumers? What's the business model? Yeah, for sure. So Code Academy's uh, business model was uh, education. You paid the you paid us to uh, teach you how to code, and we um, had some software content that we sold. At Code Academy, um, I felt like we stopped short of the potential because I felt like the potential was to not only give you some the training wheels, but actually give you the the bike itself, right? So um, I felt like there's an opportunity to make coding fun, accessible, but also give people the tools in order to build monetized software. And, um, you know, I know the Atlas Society is about uh, liberty, freedom, capitalism, and all of that. And uh, these ideas are embedded in Replit because we want people. And so, so, you know, going back to my story about thinking of software as this huge leverage, this great equalizer, it's the best thing, you know, it's the best thing in a long time for entrepreneurship, but it's not as accessible as it could be. And we could get a lot more entrepreneurs building software. And I think um, it's much better to have this like decentralized form of entrepreneurship as opposed to you know, Silicon Valley sort of building software for everyone. And, um, and we know the negative effects of that. And so with Replit, we want people, we want to teach, we want to give people tools to learn how to code, but also tools to build and ship software. And so we have people going from their first line of code to the first app, to their first dollar, right? And we have people taking the tools to their jobs. We have people starting startups on our platform and so we really want to blur the distinction between learning the craft and putting it to use. All right. Well, we're going to get into uh, your famous Twitter thread. I want to remind everybody who is watching, and hopefully we have some international viewers, because I, I know that your uh, reputation has, has grown internationally. And I do want to talk about um, all of the ways in which Replit is helping you know people in Venezuela and other countries, uh, which also don't you know really have reliable um, internet connections to uh, to just start to get a uh, leg up on that ladder of economic opportunity. But as I mentioned, on December twenty eighth of last year, you posted a uh, thread to Twitter. Uh, which again, we're going to post into the comment section, which started off, I landed in the United States 10 years ago with nothing but credit card debt. After one startup exit, one big tech job, one unicorn, I, um, I genuinely believe that it wouldn't have been possible anywhere in the world, uh, anywhere else in the world. Here are 10 things I love about this country. So what inspired you? Did you have uh, any premonition that it would 
have so much impact? And uh, was it was there a last straw? Was it sort of like, oh, I'll just this is what's on my mind? Is it something <laughs> that I've been building for a while? Yeah, sort of. Uh, you know, when when um, I have this tradition of towards the end of the year, I typically go in this like more uh, reflective mode. Like, what have I done this year? Um, you know, what, what is our life like, you know, what changed? Um, my wife, uh, is a big part of my story. She is, uh, I met her at work in Jordan. We get married and we actually, she, uh, she's my co-founder at Replit. She's a designer. And so, uh, we were talking Haya and I, uh, at lunch and we were just like talking about, you know, um, just reflecting and the main thing on our mind was that, okay, we've been 10 years almost to the day uh, in the United States. What have we been able to achieve? And we, we talked a lot about that, you know, the startups, the career uh, achievements, um, the financial achievements, um, and all of that, and, um, and really felt a sense of gratitude uh, towards this country. Um, and... Um, and also like a, a sense of like, you know, how can, how can we give back? How can we, there are a lot of things that I don't like the trends of that are happening. And I felt like, let me highlight the things that I really love about this country, what I think is really special and maybe hold up a mirror to, to Americans just to see, see what's great about them, about the culture and about the country. And, um, and, and maybe we can start a discussion around, around that and, um, and so that, that, that kind of was brewing and, and, uh, and then it just like, it just came out of me. Like I started writing it and, and, uh, you know, it's, I guess it's been brewing in my head for so long and it was so easy to get it out. Like I, I had just so much to say and so much love to, to give and, um, gratitude. And, uh, yeah, that, that was the impetus for the thread. It's interesting um, that you mentioned that it was kind of gratitude that that moved you. That that actually is a big theme of ours at the Atlas Society. Uh, you know, it's it's not necessarily a core tenet of objectivism, but uh, looking at that value and that attitude and that feeling from an objectivist lens, um, it's it's quite empowering. You know, you're, mm -hmm. you're not coming from a place of want or scarcity. Um, and anyone can feel grateful, you know, for what, for what yes. they have, even if it's very little. Uh, and we also think it's, you know, you talked about some of these trends and um, some of the trends that we're concerned about are things like envy, you know, uh, we call it a, the socially transmitted disease of envy. Right. It's very disempowering, you know, it's yes. just focused on what other people have and uh, rather than focusing on yourself, um, vices like victimhood, which now it's almost like a, you know, Olympics of, of victimhood, whoever yes. can claim to be the more victimized, uh, you know, has the moral superiority and resentment and gratitude really does um, almost inoculate you mm -hmm. to, mm -hmm. uh to that so that's that's really beautiful so the response were you surprised by just the magnitude of it or uh were you what what did you think you were going to get yeah yeah 
Yeah. Um, well, first, uh, just to comment on, on this idea of gratitude um, and its connection to uh, self-reliance and it's, it's, uh, it's the opposite of, of victimhood and, and it's a very astute observation. I haven't thought about it that way, but it's absolutely true because um, how can you be envious if you're actually thankful, right? If you are, if you're counting your blessings, like um, how are you, like you, you can't, you can't focus on your, uh, uh, you can't focus on your uh, shortcomings or your misgivings, or you're just like focused on how good things are and how you could make things better. And that's the kind of mind- mindset that I, um, I really like to have. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of think of like, even when things are going bad and things have gone bad in my life, this house burned down. This is the house that I rebuilt. But, you know, in kind of taking on a big task, if you are just feeling like so down about yourself, so down about, you know, your situation, uh, you feel like a victim, mm-hmm. then it's really hard to motivate yourself and just kind of figure out, like looking around, what do I have? How do I make the situation better? And, and sort of a gratitude focus is like, okay, no, I got my family, got my friends, I've got my mind. I've got my values. I have my philosophy. Right. This is what I'm going to use. Um, thank goodness I have these tools. Yeah, exactly. Uh, for the response, like I, I, you know, I expected, I expected to get a fair, fair amount of, of uh, traction on the, on the thread, but what, what transpired was way more than I expected getting printed in the wall street journal, um, I think featured in the Hill, a bunch of local newspapers, and then trending on Twitter, Facebook, a bunch of other places. That was, I, I did not expect that. Uh, I expected within my network to get to get a fair amount of of positive feedback, and I expected to get some pushback because because again there was, a, you know, I try to highlight the really positive things, and there are some people who are just so caught up with the negative things that, that they will get mad if you, if you show a lot of optimism. And I actually like to show a lot of optimism and really don't care if that really robs you the wrong way. Like, you know, you can just, you know, you just piss off. Like, I don't really care. Like, you know, we, like, we really should be proud of our optimism and we should really, be, be proud of our nation and, and proud of our country and proud of what makes us great. And, and so I want to, uh, you know, so, so, so that was one thing on my mind in terms of the response, um, immigrants, other American immigrants had the most positive response, like quote tweets, replies, um, people saying, you know, you know, I'm coming from a place where I faced so much discrimination in right, America. Racism. Yeah. Yeah. And America was, was the first place I've been able to really um, live life without that kind of fear uh, looming over my head, be able to be like a lot of entrepreneurs shared uh, what, uh, what, what, what I, what I talked about. Um, it was it was also surprising that 
given the division in the country that both left-leaning and right-leaning people enjoyed the thread. Like uh, one example is like Chris Hayes followed me and Bill Crystal, and <laughs> they cannot be more diametrically opposed. And uh, and that was good. Like it, it was great to see that there's that that um you know I've been I've been able to appeal to 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 the, the entire spectrum of political ideology in the United States. Um, the biggest pushback was on infrastructure. I said this thing, which is like, I didn't know it was a, like a triggering word, infrastructure, but it is for a lot of people. A lot of people like kind of like discounted the whole thread or thought it was fiction because I said America has good infrastructure. And I said, Americans take care of their public spaces. And I stand by it. And even Peggy, who loved the thread when we were talking, she even pushed back on that. And I said, look, look no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand my ground. I really believe in what I said. You have to understand like my perspective. Like I am here in Palo Alto. I take my kid outside to the, to the park and it's, it's, it's like, it's Heaven. epic. It's wonderful. It's, um, it's squirrels and it's dogs and it's people and it's clean. And that to me is fantastic. It's fascinating. I realize that not all of America is like that, especially places where ideologues have really taken over like San Francisco. You see these places getting destroyed, but I, like, I don't feel like that's inherently American. I feel like that's anti-American in a lot of ways. And this is like a, a lot of this are like blips and I hope we kind of correct away from these, from these things. I know, I know it's, it's getting hard to believe that California could, could turn things around, but, but hopefully we can. Um, but even, even in New York, when I came, like just the subway is a fascinating thing. Like it's really, um, and I know Americans will, will look at Japan and other places and say like, you know, we suck. And it, that's great. That's a great thing about America is like, we want to improve. But from my baseline, as you've probably seen in Jordan, like nothing runs on time. Uh, you know, everything's uh, like, you know, public transport is super, super dirty, unsafe and all of that. New York was, was the opposite of that. And I, um, from my point of view, uh, I think American infrastructure is, is good. And I really hope we can, we can make it even better. Like w- when I say something is good, a lot of people will, they're, you know, they feel like, you know, it's, it's being complacent. I'm not being complacent. I'm just recognizing that this is something that's, uh, that I feel is, is great. And I'm grateful for. Um, and so, so that's, that was the biggest, uh, biggest pushback. And of course, uh, there are people who, who want to really focus on the negative things. And it wasn't like a huge number of them, but like, uh, like, you know, um, some people like sort of hated the fact that I didn't talk about discrimination or I didn't talk about any of the, their pets issues. Um, and, um, and yeah, there's so much to talk about in terms of what we can do better. And I do believe we can do better on, uh, giving more equal access to more people. And I'm working on that. Like that's literally our job at Replit is to, right. it is to provide equal opportunity for everyone. Um, and but by by having gratitude, I really do not mean that we should not also be working on the on the things we could get better at. 
Really interesting. And I wonder with the infrastructure, because I wouldn't have thought of that. I mean, I've been in Jordan, I've been, you know, overseas and places where you can't, you literally cannot drive on the roads. I mean, right. just so completely, it's unbelievably messed up. So compared to that, uh, it's, it's pretty darn good, but maybe because there was the infrastructure bill and the build back better. And so, right. you know, you were being seen to say, Hey, you know, the infrastructure is pretty good. And that yes. didn't, you know, kind of uh, fit the political narrative. So it's a yeah. I, I, I sort of, I, I, I uh, stumbled on a, on a landmine, I guess, that <laughs> I did not, that I did not know. And, and I know, um, like, you know, there was this, this uh, debate about what is infrastructure and what is not. And there was like a ton of things that like, like, uh, oh, okay. I guess this word is like, is, is sort of, yeah, is a trigger word right now. So. Yeah. As so many are, as so many appear to be. So, um, all right, looking, we, we have another half an hour. So I do want to encourage people to jump in with questions, but I still have uh, a few of my own. So um, uh, let's go through some of the, the items that you had mentioned in, in your list. The first one on your list was uh, the work ethic. And, and, and by the way, I just want to mention for our viewers, one of the reasons uh, this list really fascinated me and I thought it would resonate with, uh, with our audience is if you are well read in Ayn Rand's, um, not the fiction so much, but, but her nonfiction, her speeches, her interviews, uh, you will actually see a lot of resonance and similarities between Amjad's um, observations and hers coming from, from Russia. You know, and she talks about the uh, kind of industry and the hustle. Uh, and of course, in Atlas Shrugged, um, the money speech, Francisco Danconia's money speech talks about America as the place where we coined the phrase to make money. You know, mm -hmm. that that was mm -hmm. uh, not not uh, in currency, so to speak, before before uh, the United States. So um, so I'm, I'm picking out a few things that I again, I, I see a lot of overlap with uh, with the philosophy that we promote. So the first thing on your list was the work ethic um, you observed in the United States. You remarked that regardless of the occupation, people want to do a, a bang up job, you know, whether it's sweeping uh, the hallways, cleaning up or whatever it is, even and even when nobody was looking, even when they didn't have to. Um, and you said, uh, I, you asked, why do you pour everything into doing a job when it is seemingly thankless? Um, and it was like asking fish, what is water? Um, so yeah, maybe, maybe some some examples of that, you know, because we, we get questions about menial jobs, you know, and thankless jobs. Um, mm -hmm. But maybe there's a sense to which, you know, they're not meaningless if you find your life and supporting yourself, supporting your family um, and being productive, meaningful. So what were some, what, what kind of, why did this get to be the first thing on your list? Because it's the first observation that I made. It was like, you know, just everyday things like going to, to the mall and, 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 and seeing a janitor, you know, really put in their, their best in terms of cleaning and keeping everything uh, clean and uh, 
dealing with baristas who feel something for their craft. I didn't even know that it's a craft or it's a, it's a thing. Like you're, just, you're making coffee, right? It's, um, and in my mind at least. And, um, and just like in every facet of everyday life, you see people that really care about their job. And when you complain as a customer, like nobody, like not nobody, I mean, these are generalities, but like very few service providers, waiters, um, um, companies will complain. You know, they'll really customer satisfaction is something that is also uniquely American. You know, the idea of their customers always right. And you see people really caring about doing a good job and you complaining, they feel, they feel something. And, you know, I compare it to, to my experience back home and elsewhere where, you know, there's this low level cynicism of what's the point, you know, if, if, um, if I'm, if I'm not, um, if like, maybe I'm not going to get rewarded for this, like, like, what's the point of doing a great job? Like, what's the incentive? And then you compare it to the, to America. Um, and, and I think this is how, why I speculate the work ethic is so, um, is so important here is because you can be, you can have any profession, historically speaking, and really still have the American dream, right? Like, you know, you hear stories all the time, and we used to hear them even back home, someone going to the United States, working in a gas station, rising up, becoming the manager of that gas station, saving money, starting their own gas station, uh, becoming successful, starting a chain of gas stations. Like that path exists. And you can't say that about most of the world, you know, um, and, and a big part of the Western world as, as well. Like, you know, this is very uniquely American that you can start at the absolute bottom and really have a path towards not only career success, but wealth and, and getting rich. Um, and, and I think that combined with the fact that there's some selection mechanism that's happening because it's a country of immigrants that uh, only the, the people who truly want to work hard and leave the comfort of their own country, their own home to travel to, and take a big risk and go somewhere unknown, that it sort of selects for the trait of hard work. Um, and I think you combine these two things, the idea that you can start anywhere, somewhere, and really be, and really kind of progress and, and build a, build a life for yourself. And the fact that the sort of the population base already is selected to be the one that's like hardest working. Um, and, and I think the third thing is uh, the craft, the art, like, you know, talking about the concept of a barista, I did not have it. Like everything in America could be a craft. Like you could be the best barista. You could be, um, you, you, like, you could be, um, you know, the best chef, you could be a, a great waiter. You could like, everything has some kind of progression and has some kind of, uh, leveling up that you could do. And I think these factors, uh, combine to give people incentives to, to, 
to want to want to work hard. And of course, there's this uh, virtual cycle of of working hard. You see your 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 parents working hard. You you want to work hard. Um, you see people in your community and neighborhood, um, and um, and that's just absolutely great. You know uh, what you're saying reminds me of uh, a former colleague of mine. I was a immigrant uh, scientist from um, Great Britain, married to an American wife, and um, the company that we worked for transferred him. And his wife had been the manager of a restaurant, and kind of transferring to a sort of smaller town. And I said, oh gosh, you know, where, where is she ever gonna find a, an, another job, like an opening for a manager of a restaurant? And he said, oh no, she'll just take, she'll just start busing, you know, and she'll be, I'll tell you within six months, she'll be running the place. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's kind of that, that, that confidence that like, yeah, you can work harder, you can bring it and, uh, and you can- and you Actually- can yeah, actually, I had a similar experience where, uh, you know, I came when I came to work at Code Academy, I, I was I was uh, somewhat of a minor celebrity because I had invented this this technology, and um, I was uh, known in that like subfield of tech. But then when I went to work at Facebook, I was a total unknown, and I had to like reset, um, and also rose. At, at Facebook to, to become a team lead and starting my own team and, and building tools that millions of people use. I didn't work on the main site. I worked on, again, I worked on tools. I love building tools for people, worked on open source tools at, uh, at, at Facebook. And, and um, you know, just, just like, I was so nervous that I am, that I built up a lot of um, social capital and I it left it. And they started over and you could do that over and over again in the United States. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, my grandmother used to say when uh, I was working at Dole Food Company, and no one ever expected me to be working at a food company. And, uh, you know, my, my grandmother who died at 99 would say, oh, it's early days. This is when I'm in my 40s. It's early days <laughs> for, for Jennifer. I'm like, okay. All right, well, let's get to some of these questions because a lot of people uh, are curious about the thread and about your experience. Uh, we've got a question coming in on Instagram. Um, Gwynlyn Piro asks, does the U.S. have more or less opportunities now than when you arrived? Which I, I guess we could also just use that question to say what how in the past 10 years things gotten better, you know, these things that you remarked on? Um, I would say yes. I Like my point of view is always entrepreneurship. Right. One, because I'm an entrepreneur and because I think this is the lifeblood of this country is entrepreneurship. And in the United States, Entrepreneurship is not just for the capitalist class. You, as a worker, you're also an entrepreneur because of the concept of at-will employment. You're sort of responsible for your own progression. If you if you don't like a place, you can take a risk and go somewhere else. There's this freedom, this dynamism of movement, and that's only got better. You know, there's this concept of the great resignation. Mm-hmm. partly because a lot of people are starting their own businesses 
starting your business has become so easy. When we started our business, you just fill an online form and you have an LLC and um, everything's automated. You know, there are things that like help you with taxes. There are services that help you with payroll. All this infrastructure is getting built up. And, uh, and that's not just, that's not just like completely virtual or software businesses, even, you know, with things like square, like, you know, um, brick and mortar businesses can run like, like software businesses, you get all this intelligence and all the software, um, and, um, and to, to help you kind of run your business. So I think, uh, I think that thanks, you know, in, in a big part to, to, to the software industry and tech, um, you, you see the bar lowering for entrepreneurship. So the entry is, is getting lower and, and you see it in the numbers, like the number of firms started, especially in 2020 has, has risen a lot. And I think that's really great news. People moving is a, is a good thing as well. Like I think what made uh, America, so great um, is that people could vote with their feet. Oh, that, you know, the East coast is getting calcified. It's getting like a little bit old money and people are comfortable. Like, let's go West, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and now at least for my friend network, they're going back East. They're going back to Miami, right? Miami is becoming the hot tax center because San Francisco is growing up. Like, and now San Francisco po- politicians are waking up. They're like, we're losing all these talent and all those people. Uh, let's hope so. You know, I uh, recently wrote a, um, an article called Vagrants in Our Driveway, a Teachable Moment, in that I was um, saying the way we talk about homelessness, which is clearly a huge problem in, in uh, San Francisco, that the very term, you know, that, that words matter and using that term makes it, you think that it's a housing problem. Yeah, and that, oh, yeah. that people are so successful and successful entrepreneurs are coming here and they're, yeah. you know, uh, they're buying up all of the, the real estate and driving costs up. And I said, well, if you think that uh, homelessness is a problem now, wait until they leave. <laughs> Maybe yeah. Really gonna have a, yeah, I, I think that's one of the, ne- the negative trends, the, um, the, the um, sort of the, 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 the treadmill of political correctness, like, even homelessness is sort of now considered maybe a little bit impolite and like there's a, there's a new term unhoused, right. unhoused. And I agree with you, these language games, like they're not helping anyone. Like, you know, like, what are you doing? Like, you're just inventing new terms. Like, how is this useful? Um, and it comes from a good place. And I think uh, Americans tend to want to be polite. Nice. Um, <laughs> And nice, especially Californians, but, uh, uh, but I, I like, it's a distraction. It's literally a distraction. Like, you know, there are like, we should be focusing on real solutions. Right. And, and you know, a is a, you have to call things what they are, right. you know, to c- correctly recognize the reality of the situation. And if the problem is that you have somebody who's deeply in the clutches of an addiction, uh, you know, that's that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with somebody who's a drug addict, not somebody who's just simply unhoused. So, all right. Uh, another question also from Instagram, Anthony Slater saying, uh, so many people think you have to go to college in order to 
uh, get in the door? Replit seems to work differently. How can programmers stand out without uh, stand out to get in without a degree? Yeah, you can totally do that. Um, we we hire a lot of young people. Our youngest employee joined when he was fifteen. Wow, he's seventeen. Yeah, um, and you know, uh, we I talked about being open to weirdos in the thread, yeah. and um, you know that's uh, you know especially clear in the tech industry where you you can. Um, you can have a totally unconventional life path and you can be missing some, some skills like, you know, when Elon Musk, you know, came out as uh, like having Asperger syndrome or, or something like that. There's a lot of people in tech that might be missing some uh, uh, social skills or something like that. And they still are able to make it and they're still able to, to contribute and they're still able to build um, value in the world. Um, and, and you have people on the other extreme, like complete extroverts, um, you know, the marketing types, the sales types, and, and those two groups are able to coexist in a lot of ways. Um, and, um, and, you know, just like the American history of, of weirdness, like, you know, I remember reading about um, Jimi Hendrix, um, like did not know how to read music and was playing the guitar upside down because he was left-handed. <laughs> It's like, where else does that happen? Like, I don't think there's anywhere else where you literally can be uh, self-taught, autodidact, and uh, do things totally different than what other people do. And as long as you're contributing, as long as you're creating value and you're bringing something new and interesting, then you're going to find a place for yourself. Um and, uh, and so that's, that's very uniquely American. In terms of the question of, of college, um, I, I think that's right. Like you can, you can totally skip college. Like I, I take a software, softer sort of stance on, on, on education than a lot of my, my friends in, in tech and, and people in the libertarian community and things like that. Like, I think, um, you know, I think college can be, can be good for some people. Like, I think just the idea of, having, you know, two, three, four years, whatever it is to like completely explore what you're interested in could be a good thing. I think committing too early in life to a certain path might not be the best always. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of the benefits of college are these like uh, non-academic benefits of, of meeting people and, and all of that. There are also downsides like, um, you know, uh, they're becoming an, uh, ideological uh, echo chamber in a lot of ways. Um, and, um, and you could like learn bad things uh, from, from college. And so if, if, if you don't have the money for it, if you don't have the aptitude for it, um, if you feel like you can work and, and go and do something in the world, then the first thing you do is like prove yourself. So websites like Replit and um, GitHub and others in the programmer space, allow you to build a portfolio online and show potential employers that, uh, that you're actually good at your craft, or you can start your own business. All right. Uh, we have a question on YouTube. Ali Ira Pahle, uh, shout out to Amjad. I had the chance to work with uh, this brilliant mind. I'm not sure if Amjad 
had the chance to read Atlas Shrugged or what his take on objectivism is. Yeah, we were talking about that before the show. I, I, I'm sort of like not a big like fiction um, reader. Um, I'm like always in a rush to get to the, to, to, to the point, to the meat of the things. And it kind of Atlas Shrugged is beautifully written, but it's like uh, uh, long and all of that. I, I got the, like, I, I um, so I uh, played it on audio at 3x speed. And so I, I got, I got, I got all the way through. Um, and I, 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 I'm in agreement with, with a lot of the, uh, in agreement with a lot of Ayn Rand's ideas. Um, and, uh, I am, I, you know, what we talked about in terms of, um, uh, against victimhood, more about self-reliance that, um, being, incentivized to do what's well for you and your family actually end up be adding up to being very good for society. Um, I am in agreement on all these things. Um, and, uh, capitalism be, being, um, being a natural, most freedom maximizing system. Um, I think maybe where, uh, you know, where, I don't know if that's Ayn Rand stand, but like, um, like maybe I'm, like I think sometimes you have to, you have to, um, you have to fight, and not just leave. Like you know the idea of like a you know John Galt and and, and those mm-hmm. people kind of leaving, is an interesting idea, and you see it a lot in the like tech libertarian circles. Kind of um, like Peter Thiel, who who is an investor in Replit. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Okay, yeah. well, you know he was our honoree at our gala last year. That's awesome. Um, Good. He. Um, I'll have to send them this interview. Yeah, 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 please do. Um, uh, you know, uh, you know, building th- things like seasteading, and maybe it's it's worth exploring these things. But but ultimately, like I I really think that uh, that America is, as I said, and the threat is worth protecting, and um, um, and uh, like the message should not be that we should like leave. Right. So, uh, which feeds into a question from Harold Rogers um, asking over Facebook. Speaking of leaving, what are your mm-hmm. thoughts on all the people leaving California? All your friends going to Miami and uh, and Austin, and uh, would you go elsewhere or stay and try to change things? Yeah, I'm so far uh, decided to stay, um, and um, and um, like I'm not as involved as I'd like to be in local politics, but. I'd, this is something that I'd love to explore. I've been having some some conversations, things like my thread, hopefully, and th- like my writing, um, hopefully, will will start to have some positive impact. Actually, some politicians reached out, Democrats, um, center left type people, reached out uh, after uh, the news came out and wanted to chat here in Santa Clara County. And so there there are there are a lot of good apples here, and um, and I think we have a fighting chance. Again, the attitudes are changing a little bit. You see, London Breed uh, had a, like a tough on crime um, speech, and uh, and hopefully that's um, that's uh, that has some staying power. Um, so, um, but I am very sympathetic to to interstate competition, or not sympathetic, but very supportive of voting with your with your feet of the American um, tradition of interstate competition, the mayor of Miami saying like, 
um, saying like if if California, San Francisco doesn't like the tech entrepreneur class, then come here, you know. And uh, a lot of other mayors have said said the same thing. Um, recently, um, the mayor of New York has been signaling a lot of support for crypto and Bitcoin. Um, he said he's going to take his salary. I think Eric Adams said he's going to take his salary in Bitcoin. And this is great. This is awesome. Like, you know, politicians fighting for talent is, is awesome. I just don't think we should, um, we should, we should, uh, you know, we should be so down on America itself. I think, I think the interstate stuff is, is fine, but like not, not, not be thinking about escapism um, too, too much. So uh, we have a little less than 10 minutes and you were mentioning, um, and it's one of the items in the thread about uh, how America is um, open to weirdness. Weirdos thrive without being crushed. So, you know, weirdness is being different, thinking differently, doing things differently. Um, I wonder if uh, there is a the same kind of toleration for, you know, quirky personal styles, personal tastes. Um, is there a same tolerance for kind of non-conformists when it comes uh, in, in Silicon Valley, when it comes to those who have different, you know, political points of view? I mentioned uh, Peter Thiel, who was someone who we honored at our, our gala. Um, one of the reasons he left, you know, um, uh, Silicon Valley was uh, because of the sort of political monoculture that there wasn't a lot of diversity or intolerance for diversity of uh, ideologies. Um, Palmer Lucky also spoke at our at our gala, and uh, you know he's <laughs> founded Oculus, but uh, just had supported a different candidate, and the guy got kicked out of his own um, own company. So, yeah, I, th- I think. Um... I think um, so. I mean, maybe like is is that premise even even right? No, it is. It is somewhat right. Uh, I, I think I think it's especially Fang uh, sort of um, phenomena, uh, like you know, Facebook, Google employees. Um, there are a few reasons for that. I think Google started this trend of like treating employees like children. Uh, wow. I've never heard of that. Yeah, I mean, like you go to the campus, it's all colorful. It's all like, you know, they have these these like a playground. Playground. Um, they feed them. They do their laundry. They do their all, all this. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, it looks great from the outside, but it had a lot of these negative downstream effects of actually people becoming children, and um, and I th- I think that 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 is like changing a little bit, especially with the pandemic. And I think because they had so much success and they were insulated from market pressure because as a monopoly with a like a cash cow, you sort of become totally, and, and this is one, some failure modes of, of capitalism that maybe I depart from some libertarians from is that you can have situations where companies become so corrupt because they've been too successful for too long. Um, and 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 so ideological conformity became part of that, and I, I saw it um, really peak during the um, the like uh, Trump Clinton sort of elections, and um, it, it drove people really mad that um, 
that that Trump uh, Trump won. Uh, I, I wasn't happy about it, but but I like I think some people just really fundamentally had um, where um, were affected um, mentally by it, um, and uh, they there was a ramp up uh, in terms of like you know wokeness for a long time in Silicon Valley, um, and it, it kind of peaked uh, in twenty twenty. Um, and, and I feel like it's got, it's going down. Um, and, um, and I think, uh, there's opening now for reasonable people, uh, to, to talk, to have nuance, to, um, to realize that we're all striving for the same thing. And a lot of people that adopted, uh, those mentalities, you know, have different approach to maybe solving things, but they want to do well. And I, I believe in, in the goodness of, of most people, but, um, Shutting down debate, canceling people, taking things out of context, digging into people's history uh, to find things they don't like, you know, supporting a different candidate, being against that, um, uh, or like you know, shutting that down. I, I think I think that's bad, and like people know that's bad. But there was there was a mania moment of mania, I think, mm. uh, in Silicon Valley specifically, but the United States in general that sort of peaked. Uh, in, in, you know, uh, in, in 2020, maybe, maybe a bit last year, but don't you feel like things are changing a little bit? I think so. Uh, but I, I think that we're, we're still seeing, um, just in terms of irrationality, I'm, I'm still seeing a lot of irrationality, unwillingness to admit things, uh, didn't turn out the way that um, they they were intended to, with a lot of the uh, the mandates and the and the lockdowns. You know, um, yeah. I mean, the United States is, is really kind of an, an outlier. And you look over in Europe and uh, other other countries where they're they're just not persisting in a lot of these um, interventions, and so it, right. it almost seems like. Until we can kind of, I mean, because it's a big deal. It's kind of a big deal. So. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I think it's like slightly distinct than than the ideological thing, because because you see people on the left and right sort of being so tied to uh, to lockdowns and, and mandates mm-hmm. and things like that. Uh, despite the data, despite like we know so much now about this disease and who it affects and what it affects and. Um, and you see some of the policies that are that are getting um, pursued, uh, really be anti anti American, anti freedom, uh, anti a, a lot of things that made this country special. Um, and, um, and yeah, I, I don't think anyone like I mentioned that in my thread. I say like it's a cliche, but freedom is is very important for me and why why I'm here. Um, like you know, being being forced to take medicine against your will is is, is probably one of the worst thing you could you could be doing. Um, and like, just, just to like be measured, um, like, um, you know, here in, in the peninsula in the Bay area, we don't have, uh, vaccine passports. We, um, yeah, like, you know, pe- people are outside, you know, if, if they have a mask, they're not going to bully you to, to put a mask on. Uh, you know, there are places where those irrationalities still, still exist, but, 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 you know, just to be, to be measured, like there are a lot of places that are not like that, you know, including Texas, Miami, and like places in California that are, that are cool. 
Well, uh, I I need you know I, I haven't gotten a, my my booster of the vaccine, but I I feel like I've gotten my booster of optimism and gratitude because I can get you know guilty as anybody else I can get wrapped up in the negativity and so uh, this is a good course corrective uh, Amjad thank you so much for joining us uh, check out those books that I mentioned and, and uh, if we can get a address for you we'll, we'll send you a, a care package one of the things that we do at the Atlas Society is we do pocket guides so we make make things we're also about making things accessible and fun so thank you very much um and uh hope to uh, get to meet you on one of my next trips up to the valley yeah i'd love that i'd love that thank you so much for having me and i'm, I'm excited to to uh to dig more into ayn rand's uh books and in, in, in your community great and i want to thank everybody who joined us today thank you for all of the wonderful questions. Uh, I really, really enjoyed this um, conversation. Check out the events section of our site. Uh, tomorrow I'm on Clubhouse with our founder, David Kelly, talking about fact versus opinion and objectivity. Uh, and then next week, um, I am going to be uh, speaking with the author of uh, The Gray Lady Wait, Ashley Rinsberg. Um, who uh, has documented some ways in which historically uh, the, the newspaper that we usually take to be uh, objective, um, it, that, that some of the bias or the misreporting or the fake news, if you will, uh, is not necessarily a new phenomenon. So that'll be a fun conversation. So thanks, everyone. Thank you, Amjan. Thank you.